Hello, this is the Pavago Podcast, and today I'm joined by Aaron Morley, uh, Ryan Hallahan, and Louis Fitzgerald. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of a debate and a chat today about some of the recent uh, market events and things that are going on in the news. So I think we kick off with um, Louis and Evergrande. Not Louis, we'll both start off with Louis, start off with Aaron instead. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the Evergrande um, situation has been developing and sort of come to a head now. Um, today was the big day of whether or not they're going to go into liquidation. Um, as a company, I'm not sure how much everyone knows about them, but as a company, they're the second largest property development and real estate business. Um, they employ roughly around 130,000 people uh, worldwide. And the interesting thing about them is they've gone on a significant um, growth journey over the last sort of three to four years alone, um, taking on lots and lots of cheap debt um, because interest rates are at all-time lows almost and the forecast for interest rates to stay there are um, remaining the same. Uh, that has um, made them drive and continue to take on more debt. Now, um, they came out last week, or started last week, saying that they're going to struggle or they're potentially going to miss repayment of their um, their loans and that sort of sent their market into a frenzy and there is actually a big sort of divergence on who is responsible for the potential um, impact of them going into liquidation um, as they're sort of one of the largest um, or second largest Hong Kong based or Chinese and Hong Kong based real estate companies but also listed in the US there's a bit of a debate about who is responsible for that and what are the potential um, pitfalls if it were to go under uh, I think you guys both noticed that because of this, there was a massive move to risk off, which of course means the US dollar strengthens as people come out of the stock market and start um, plowing money into sort of safer havens like the dollar and gold, um, whilst people try to bear and understand what's actually going on within the company. Um, it sort of came to a head now, but I think it sort of highlights really well what potentially could happen this year and going into next year with. Uh, more risk on risk off movements as people come out of the post pandemic or endemic um, that that we're going to see next year. Any thoughts on it, guys? I have a question, Aaron. Sure. Why do you think um, the Evergrande crisis had such a global had such an impact on global markets when it's uh, they're just a Chinese business that most of us have never heard of? up until a week ago? Um, so one of the reasons um, they have quite a big crossover into the US stock market, that's where they're listed. Um, so I think they were the probably, I think it's 120th biggest company or something like that, biggest revenue in the US yep. that's well, listed. The, the 120th biggest company worldwide. Worldwide, and all that is registered within the US dollar and in the US. So that's one implication. And like we saw um, earlier this year, of the UK had a version of it with um, a steel magnet um, called Sanjeev Gupta. Behind um, this uh, Evergrande were a load of sort of tier one banks. So HSBC were heavily involved in providing debt. Mm. So were many other listed banks and investment banks, which whilst they are in the business of lending debt to risk-based decisions, they also hold a huge implication to end consumer and retail which are a lot of the um, actual sentiment in the market so the fact that not just this Evergrande that no one ever heard of before a week ago the biggest impact were the investors behind it that lose the money and in turn uh, there will be implications for the end consumer that's pumped their money and held it with HSBC as an example. 
Yeah. Well, I think one of the the deadlines, the deadline they had today, today being Thursday, I'm not sure when this is yeah. being released, but regardless, the deadline was today. It sort of never happened uh, in the end, but the deadline was related to some bonds that they, they owed a payment on. And obviously, as we know, bonds are um, available for anyone to buy in the market, right? So it wasn't just banks that that were expecting to be paid on these bonds it was it could be retail investors as well i believe so perhaps that might be one reason um but a theory that i have on it is that with it being real estate it's a an industry that really can affect the man on the street and the reason why i say that um so if a company so evergrand are the most heavily indebted business in the world, but there are some real concerns about sustainability of the real estate sector in China at the minute because of the amount of cheap lending that there's been, et cetera, and the, and, this, and the huge push, particularly on commercial buildings. But um, Is Evergrande all commercial buildings? Or is it, it's residential as well? No, residential, residential as well. Residential towers, right? Yeah, okay. so they, they will, I mean, in one street they won't, I think there's a stat in one street in China, they probably put up five out of 10 um, residential blocks. So okay. they're a big, big, mm. um, they're a big real estate investor, but also they focus on, focus on new developments into making new towns and communities. So I think there's a little bit of a sentimental element of this as well. So um, the residential side of it, does that mean that the government, Chinese government will step in? Well, this is the question about who will step in because a lot of the end, um, property owners are individuals and that means the ownership of their property they may be renting from or paying were, were, or could potentially change but that aside it's also the companies listed in the US and all revenues are in the US despite all their assets being abroad in China say so who is actually responsible for that is it the Fed is it the US, uh, the Chinese government and where, do, where does that leave the end um, property owner basically of, of this of this business mm. I, th I think Ryan made a, a great point in terms of who this actually affects um, so this doesn't only affect the banks it does affect private investors and I think for me that's why we saw such a big move in the market because if they do go bust a lot of people lose a lot of money uh, and a lot of investment goes elsewhere um, so I think in terms of risk and in terms of investor sentiment I think this has a a massive play on, on future markets and where we're moving next. I think also um, it's good to just bring it back to closer to our shores that over the last 18 months since the pandemic, everyone has focused on the fact that uh, the stamp duty incentive is a really good thing, cheap lending is a really good thing, property active on the property market has been so active and uh, buoyant, what's, what's the right word? Buoyant. Sorry. Um, <laughs> is such a positive part of the UK economy. I think this actually shows that on a much bigger scale, if companies like this can get themselves consumed by debt and sort of not manage it effectively when they've probably got hundreds or have they got hundreds of thousands of people that probably manage this day to day, it shows the end user that has bought a property probably much uh, more expensive than they would have done prior to a pandemic, maybe sort of heading in the same direction and I think it does scare the market that bricks and mortar aren't always uh, the safest options and debt is also coming back to being a bad thing rather than being this really good asset or really good 
product that allows people to take uh, leverage leverage themselves into debt, into properties, into investments, into whatever it may be. And it shows that interest rates can change and uh, repayment of this is still necessary. So yeah. I think that's where it scared the market a little bit as well. Yeah, the other thing that I think is could have a really profound impact is so uh, Evergrande default on their obligate their obligations to the big lenders. Lenders then have reduced appetite to lend to Chinese real estate businesses, which in turn means that less businesses can go out and buy property, which forces the price of houses down. That's going to have a global impact. And if you look at in the UK, the government are in particular really encouraging people to go and buy properties with deposits smaller than they ever have done at the minute. There's, there's a lot of encouragement to people to buy properties with 5% deposit, which increases the likelihood of negative equity. So if the house prices, which already is is described as a bubble anyway, if house prices come significantly lower, you're gonna have a, a, a situation and a possible problem where of negative equity, which is no good for the consumer. It obviously means that people feel less wealthy and puts people under pressure on in terms of their mortgages means that banks don't want to lend money so it has like a real big ripple effect so the the real estate sector is something as we've mentioned is something that is really really key to the development of a global economy so i think it's really interesting that going into sort of the 2008 um crisis there was a lot of rating agencies that were just really slow to update how they graded different businesses with large large assets and debt and liability and i think this has happened again on this business that there's race agencies that had them as really strong things. Even AAA going into two weeks ago really? as a business. So, I mean, knowing the fact that these racing agencies and banks are still lending based off AAA rating and only a week later they could be falling and going into liquidation which shows the quickness of uh, whether all these banks are doing the right research and the risk to the consumer is much greater than the bank because they can probably suffer a little bit more. Um, but it's really it's, what it does do more importantly from a currency side of view it does really bring it back to how quickly a landscape can change by a factor that doesn't normally get considered within um, forecast by individuals or corporates buying currency or selling currency that an individual or a single business themselves can influence a whole currency market and where the, where the trend is I mean sterling dollars were pushing up to 139 wasn't it before before this happened and it hit the low of 135.80 around that, that level this week based off this news alone because of that risk off risk on movement that happened so quickly. Mm. How, many, how many conversations are you guys actually having with people about this at the moment? Is this a... Is yeah, yeah. Uh, this is, for, particularly for people that are either buying or selling dollars, this is uh, uh, something that we're bringing up to anybody who's, who can forecast their requirement in the future. This is something that they should definitely be considering. And what, what's the what's the sentiment? Is it to, to wait and see to find out whether they've like the the, the default today or the, the what's the Yeah, I think the the biggest part of this is on a short term people could have either lost out or capitalised on this market move, whichever way of the market or even side of the market they were. But I think the really important point that this highlights is how quickly a landscape can change away from sort of interest rates, inflation, business like this can just drastically change. So maybe it's not so much this, because I think this this has come to a head today, and I think there will be a plan in place and the story will sort of fizzle out and die now. However, that aside, 
I think it really shows how important it is to plan ahead because this risk off risk on thing has so many different factors that can affect what happens in the market that you could never plan for this business to potentially have too much debt. You'd have to know the insides out of every single business that's got every single bank behind it. So you would never achieve that. So it's quite really- Surely is this not like a, an opening door to um, the debt crisis we've had before, where all of a sudden every bank sort of opened its doors to say, yeah, actually we're in a, well, you, a bit of stuff as well. You would so say obviously that. the focus has got to be more on property funds, right? Well, you say that, but then we had um, Green Seal, wasn't it? Was it Green Seal Capital, Green Seal Capital yeah, um, yeah. earlier this year, who were backing, um, I forgot the name of the group now, but by Sandy Gupta, what's the name of the group? Group of companies, the steel businesses that Green Seal all time. Not corpses. No, it's Wyland's Bank and Liberty Steel. And Liberty Steel Liberty Group. Liberty group. I think it's yeah. Liberty Group. And um, we had it in the UK, but since then, no one's really just again died off and it's sort of gone away. I think there is an element of naivety to the market because everyone thinks it's happened once, it can't possibly happen again. Um, and I think that that's the big risk is the naivety to sort of just brush it under the carpet and move on. So it's really important that people use this as a sort of a stamp to realise what could potentially plan out in the future. And it's got some big impacts on some UK investment houses like HSBC and BlackRock have been yeah. highlighted as being extremely large investors. Mm-hmm. I understand that potentially would have been another large investor from Hamago up in stocks right? Yeah. In, indeed, um, I actually I don't sound cool with it, but um, I text Ryan Hallahan on uh, Monday evening saying when I think the stock was down eighty three percent, so there's only upside, and I think now would be the time to try and dabble in the share. And to he replied, "You are joking. It's gonna I'm gonna short it even if there's nothing left." And obviously, a week later or four days later, I would have been forty percent up today. So I think he's gonna owe me a few beers after. After it all comes to a head, I think on a on a side note, uh, this is definitely going to affect all businesses uh, that are looking for for some sort of borrowing. If the 120th biggest company globally can be in this much trouble, can be 300 billion dollars in debt, then for for Joe public business on the street trying to uh, get some get some money from the bank, they're really going to struggle. And banks may actually change their structuring of lending moving forward um, and how they lend to businesses. So this could be a massive, massive shake-up in the, in the lending market. Have we seen anything corrupting this? I mean, I know they've been using one lender to pay off another lender in a sort of, sort of spiralling out of control, but is there any corruption involved in this? It's not like Worldcom, where there was a... I haven't read about anything no. corruption. No, no. I don't think so. no. Unless you've heard anything. No, only the fact they've been paying, using new lenders to pay off. Yeah, yeah. it's almost like a Ponzi scheme. Yeah. 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 Well, You'll never find out corruption until or if it went pop today, if it fell apart, then to that point there'd be finger pointing. But I think when the people find out the corruption will be the investors and right now BlackRock don't want to talk this down anymore because mm. they're sort of holding they're holding a um, rather expensive baby at the moment. So I think for any any business money. that's heavily indebted, um, it's common for them to borrow money to pay off other debt. Other debts. And actually the reason why this has all gone away today, I'm sure, is because there has been a debt restructuring which yeah. involves paying Robin Peter to pay Paul. Yeah. Um, so there will definitely be some of that going on, I'm sure, but I'm not sure whether it's corrupt or not. Okay. The, the impact, um, you said, sort of moved over to the US market, um, probably brings us nicely onto US UK trade agreements. 
and what effects they're going to have. Lou, what's your point on that? Yeah, I think we're going to really struggle. Um, we saw talks start under Trump's administration in terms of a trade deal between the UK and the US, um, really because of COVID that was thrown out of bed. But I think there's a real key sticking point, and that's how long it's going to take to agree a trade deal. The next presidential election is in 2024. If we, if we were to agree anything by 2024, it'd be seen as massively, massively positive. It's just not going to happen. Um, so I think... What do you think the hesitancy is? What's the... Well, because if Biden doesn't make the next election, then there's no point. He's wasted a load of time creating a trade deal with the UK and putting something in place and then the next president comes in and benefits from that. Unless, unless he thinks it's genuinely beneficial yeah. to the US economy yeah. and his that, role as president is to act in the US best interests. I think right now, as a every nation, I mean, I think you'll see it more and more as we come out of the pandemic, every, every nation, are, we're not gonna start making new trade deals that try and change too much because I think everyone sort of just stays strapped in to get through the pandemic. And now everyone's sort of looking more inwards at their own country and sort of in a protective mode, I think. I think. That's the worst thing you can do, though, I think. Agreed, but I think... Like, that's like US sentiment, generally. I think US sentiment right now is they're sitting as a nation, sitting inwards and go, we could we could live off our own supply, but there's all enough the, food, gas. And I, I think they're probably sitting there going, why be the um, figurehead? Because it's clear to see that the U UK stock right now, um, Ojo's stock right now, has never been lower because... We can't stop. We haven't done it. We've done a trade deal with the US, um, Australia. We haven't done any other trade deals, have we? Maybe Gibraltar, we've got passport rights, but we, we are struggling with trade deals. And why would you be the sort of figurehead that gives us a trade deal when his uh, presidential election or re election may not be tied on? I mean, he's had a, a bit of a Tory tie with um, the leading of Afghanistan. I think that's really going to start coming out to. to be a risk, so they're just being a bit more protective of it, um, in my opinion. I also think, um, from from his perspective especially, that it's they're in a position of power. So the US right now are sitting there very comfortable thinking that the UK is always going to want to trade deal with them. Um, I know from my reading on it, the US are trying to tie up American companies to have access to the NHS. Uh, and I think from our perspective, that's just not a possibility right now. Uh, I think we're too far in debt, uh, and I think we're going to really struggle to add anything to the NHS, although we've tried to, of course, with, with the recent tax. So if you're Biden right now, you think, hold off, um, that there's no real rush for them to try and strike off uh, a partnership with, with the UK. Yeah, I, I agree. I think um, it's interesting. I mean, Boris Johnson just needs trip to the US. I think he's weakened himself a little bit more. I mean, I don't know if anyone read about his meeting with um, Amazon's founder, Jeff Bezos. He met um, met up with him because he wanted to talk about uh, them paying more taxes. Taxes in the UK. Taxes yeah. in the UK because of the amount of product. I think they sell 65 billion pounds worth of product in the UK and pay 400 million pounds worth of tax. So Boris went over and met um, Jeff Bezos and he was actually late to the meeting, Jeff Bezos, sort of arrived and he said I'm not doing it as a gesture if you make the framework work the way that I need to pay more tax I will but right now I'm abiding to all the rules and it sort of left a bit red-faced and unsuccessful so I think um, the quicker Boris comes back to the UK is probably better to because um, right now he's struggling to fit a horse in it so mm. I think get back to sort of get safe get on mutual ground again yeah I, I think something that's going to be 
much more viable in this sense is not a complete trade deal with the US, but it's a potential series of trade deals in certain industries. Uh, I think it would make much more sense. I think it would be much quicker from both sides. And I can see moving forward in specific industries, we cut tariffs uh, and help trade between the UK and US. I just don't think it's viable. Does that happen? How does that work, though? Does that happen state by state and product by product, or does it happen as a countrywide deal? Yeah, yeah, yeah well, they will go federal. I've actually I read this morning that we're trying to create um, tariff-free states with, with certain areas of the US. So in essence, it can work both ways. I think if Boris doesn't get what he wants in terms of creating a trade deal with the whole of the US, we will start going after states. Uh, and seeing if we can create reduced tariff trade deals with, with individual states in the US. When do you think we'll see any more news on this? Uh, it seems to be going on at the moment. For me, I would expect over the next six months, um, once we've got COVID hopefully out of the way, um, that would be the next big thing on the agenda for us. So I think over the next six months, the UK and US trade deals will start to, to come to the fore. I've got a, um, an alternative theory on this. So I think this is going to be a sign of things to come. We've decided to leave the EU as a nation and have gone from the US's biggest trade partner to someone who's less significant now. So it'd be ridiculous for us to think that the US are going to prioritise a trade deal with us just because we want them to. Well, that's what um, Obama said. He said, if you left, uh, and you Brexit, you'll be at the back of the queue, you, there's no skipping it, and I think that's exactly what they're going to honour. Yeah. I think they'll keep us at the back, because why upset everyone else in that queue and everyone else in the EU, which still make up a lot of it, when we are we are sort of the, the um, I guess, the adopted brother and yeah, not back into the family. You know, we're not a big player, we have to get used to that. We have to be creative with the ways that we can go about our deals now. We can't just rely on the muscle that we used to have with the EU. I think one of the ways that we can do it is by investing in technology and innovation and renewable renewable technologies because yeah. I think those are going to be sectors that are going to be growing worldwide and if we can be seen as an expert in those financial services as well actually mm-hmm. um, if we can be seen as an expert or a or a lead a market leader in those sectors then it's going to generate more interest but unfortunately your old industrial manufacturing sectors, unless we can come up with something that's going to set us aside and differentiate ourselves from other nations, we're going to be fighting a losing battle with any with negotiations with any nation, not just the US because of our so-called special relationship. Um, we're going to have to be creative. I think but you, you say that we have to be creative, and I think we always spoke about there was sort of the um, Singapore and the Thames and all those types of headlines coming out when we first Brexit, and then Obviously, they've announced the corporation tax rise, which seems crazy. I was in Northern Ireland yesterday, meeting a big manufacturer, and he's always been based down the same road, same factory, same premises. Um, and he said, if I move two hour drive um, south of where I am right now, I'd, I'd save 15 or 14% worth of tax because of the new rate changes in Europe that just go over the border. And he said, I'm not going to sit here and do that whilst we're not being innovators at all. So um, I think it's it's interesting that you say that we have to be almost entrepreneurial as a nation, but I think that's the opposite of what we're doing right now. Well, it's quite a few bits covered straight off. 
All right, well, we're going to try and do this on a, a weekly basis, so we can pick up some next points on the next time. Thanks so much for your uh, time this afternoon, Matt. Let's, uh, let's get back to the line.